0: Pediatric speech language pathologist and welcome to my podcast number four fifty six receptive language milestones by thirty months brought to you by my website teach me to talk we're the largest provider of ASHA approved CEUs for early intervention thank you so much for being here it's always a privilege to have you join me to talk about everything related to early intervention and early language development so let's get going today we're continuing our language milestones podcast series and we're up to show Number seven in this 14 part series, where we look at both receptive and expressive language all the way from 12 months through 48 months. Now, we're tackling these milestones in six month increments, and like I said today, we're talking about receptive language by 30 months. Now, for therapists, you can get continuing education credit for this course, and I'll be including the link below uh, to purchase credit in our $5 CEU program, which includes your certificate for your licensure or your certification, and then your handout that you can share with other team members and certainly share with parents. It's a fantastic reference for where a child is with language development. So many parents and grandparents ask us how we, they can support our work here at Teach Me to Talk, and purchasing the handout is a great way to do that and you can do that for five dollars or any other amount that you would like to give and again you'll uh, be able to find the links below there for CE credit and to purchase the handout if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel please do we so appreciate your support and again we are so grateful that you are here all right for parents tuning in to see how your own child is doing with language development let's go ahead and review this milestones list and again our age that we're looking at today is 30 months and we're looking at receptive language. And just for a reminder, receptive language means what a child understands or comprehends. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So our first skill is follows two-step related commands. Now, this would be expected commands, so anything that would have two parts to it, like go get your diaper or here's your diaper, go throw it away. Now many assessments list this skill at 24 months, but some of them take it on up to a uh, higher uh, age range at this 30-month or even a 30 36-month level there. So we're going to be talking about this now in this age range and it's so important that children begin to understand longer and longer pieces of information because that means that their auditory memory and their language comprehension is really, really improving and that length again of what they can think about and remember and then execute uh, continues to expand and grow. So super important milestone and we'll spend a lot of time talking about that today. The next one is kind of a, a skill that is found on both language test and on cognitive tests and it sorts objects into categories. And so this would be big categories that you could have several items out and you could say, let's put all the balls over here and all the shoes over here. And so again, kids are beginning to categorize. And such an important skill. I'm, we'll talk about it. All that I want to tell you about that is we review the skills in depth, but but one that you may not think about working on if you are an SLP or why that's important. So we'll talk about that today. Uh, the next one is a big one as well. It's Understands Early Pro. Pronouns, and remember that pronouns are words that replace names of things and they're kind of a general kind of catch-all there it could be uh, again like a, a word like it but here it's or them or they here it really refers to that earliest level of pronoun development so we're looking at the words me my or mine and then I and you the reason that early pronoun usage and early pronoun comprehension is so important is because it is a huge marker for children who will go on to have language disorders and so versus a delay Now, remember I talk about this on every show but delay means that skills are just coming in as expected it's just a slower pace but disorder means that there's atypical development and when we see a child can't master pronouns here in between his second and third birthday these early ones we have the heads up that something else might be going on beyond a language delay so super super important one to help children learn how to understand uh, well before they start using those words the the next skill is points to four action words and pictures. And in the last receptive language uh, development range, we talked about understanding more action words. Now we bump it up so that a child sees visually a representation of that verb or that action word, and he can identify that by pointing pictures. The next one's kind of a fun one. It's recognizes family member names. And so this is, uh, if your name is Stacy, your two-year-old instead of. Re- thinking about you as just mom. Again, their language has expanded and they learn what other people call you now too. And so they're recognizing dad's first names and then siblings' first names as well. The next skill is understands the concept of one and that would is usually taught like I teach it that we're gonna talk about when we contrast it with a term like uh, all or more, but here at this range, this is when quantity first starts to emerge with a child, and you can see how this is the foundational skill for all things related to numbers and counting, and so super super important skill that emerges here by 30 months. The next one is size concepts, and this would be again that a child is beginning to categorize and and pick out similarities versus differences, and here a child will under, start to understand really uh, kind of the big picture when we're. we're talking about size and sort things into things that are bigger versus little or small. The next one is response to simple questions and again this is not a factual question like is the earth round or flat or something like that. It's it's related to what's going on in a child's immediate environment so it's things answering yes and no questions, uh, answering early what questions, what's that or those kinds of things or where questions. They also begin to respond to location questions here as well. Uh, the next skill is identifies four objects by function. So again, we're taking all the skills that we've talked about, you know, at the 12-month level, the 18-month level, the 24-month level, and now we've bumped up to the 30-month level, and now we're not, we're not just saying, you know, where's the shoe or where's the hat? We're saying, which one goes on your feet? Which one do you wear on your head? Uh, if you if you have a cup and a spoon and say a book we might say which one is for drinking and a child by two and a half should begin begin to know those things so here again children are not only expanding what they say in expressive language but we actually have the piece that comes before that with the receptive language so that they're understanding more and more so that they can begin to say more and more and the next skill and I believe this is the last skill in this milestone list is understands location phrases and again this is Uh, That same bump up where we we took the early prepositions like in and on and up and down and now children are understanding them in the context of sentences and even conversations so that we can say put your ball in the box go put uh, or Or take your shoes off your feet or take that cup off the table And they're understanding those location phrases in that context. So as you can see we get super specific in this age range this is really where kind of the rubber meets the road and this is where we'll see lots and lots of breakdowns with our little friends who again have not only language delays but language disorders and we begin to see gosh this isn't just really about not being able to talk or interact with other people. This is really more foundational than that. They're not really understanding the language that they're hearing. And so we're no longer saying things like children can follow directions and understand more words. We go from macro to micro. And we say now they understand more prepositions. They understand object functions. They understand location phrases. So it's a super, super important time in language development, especially for you speech-language pathologists, because, you know, again, uh, making this receptive language your foundational piece for your speech therapy plan is always a good idea even when late talking is really really your main concern. Kids should have already had a language explosion too by this time by 30 months so if we haven't seen that that also would indicate to us that we need to uh, step back and take a closer look at receptive language. And why is that? Because receptive language drives expressive language development. So when kids don't understand very uh, much or very many words or all the words that they should for their their age, they certainly are not going to talk very much either. And so it's time to start looking for a reason by this point. Is this just a continuing a delay? And again, that's measured by are the skills coming in, <coughs> pardon me, sequentially and in the same chronological order that we would expect? or are they delayed versus you know is there a physiological reason for this for this continuing delay does his child have you know unidentified hearing loss? Has he had so many ear infections that now this is chronic and we have to start thinking about his, again, other reasons that, that might contribute to his ability to not link meaning with words. Is this really a disorder of language? Does he have, again, delays that we can quantify not only in expressive language with what this child is saying, but also in receptive language with, with what he understands? Is this autism or is this another, again, more significant? developmental issue that we haven't looked at yet beyond that talking piece. And so another important point to remember is that receptive language for children under three is really commensurate with uh, cognition and with their ability to understand. So if we have a little guy who's struggling with receptive language, he has cognitive delays too. And sometimes we don't point that out to parents or even as SLPs we're not as cognizant of that That fact as we need to be. And this isn't to be gloom and doom to parents or give a child a life sentence of not being able to understand or use language like we would expect, but it's just so that we can figure out a child's learning style and figure out what he needs help with and then adjust our strategies and teaching methods so that we can help this child have the best outcome possible. So now that we've covered that list and we've gotten kind of those preliminary things out of the way, let's talk about the strategies that are most helpful for this developmental period. And then we're going to dive into these details with an in-depth review of each of those milestones. Now, I spent some time in the previous show, number 455, which is actually about expressive language, talking about the most helpful language facilitation techniques for expressive language. And so let's do that again here for receptive language, because now we bumped it up a little bit and our expectations are growing and growing and growing. So let's talk about uh, just a quick review of the top six language facilitation strategies for receptive language for toddlers. Number one. And I hope that if you don't retain anything else from this show, you keep this piece of information always prevalent in your mind when you're working with a child who has a receptive language issue. When you're working on receptive language, and again, that's what a child understands, what he comprehends. Don't push for the verbal response. Now that is so hard to do for we chatty SOPs and certainly for moms and dads too. But when we focus on receptive language, and again, particularly for children who have demonstrated, gosh, they're not following directions as well. They're not, maybe didn't point to body parts as quickly as we wanted them to learn or start to point to pictures. You know, it took them a longer time to kind of get that first rung of skills we know that they have difficulty processing language. And so when we overload their little systems by saying, not only do you have to understand what I'm talking about and and execute and do something that I'm asking you to do, you also have to say it. And that just makes it too hard for our little guys. And it drives some of them away. And again, we know this because these are the same kids who may not have uh, learned to respond to their names. And again, aren't, aren't really following a lot of verbal directions. And so we can't require them to talk and to do something else because their systems will become overloaded. Also, when we do this, it gives kids a break <laughs> during therapy time when we start to focus on something that, again, where they're just using their minds and not their mouths. Uh, we certainly know that we will uh, get better responses so that's number one don't push for the verbal response if you're working on language comprehension number two we teach language by modeling language to increase comprehension which means that we get it at that just right level so we're teaching kids words that they need to understand to build their everyday vocabulary so these are functional words we're gonna stay away from academic language you know shapes colors letters and numbers we're gonna work on language for following directions at home, at daycare, preschool, wherever they happen to be. And we have to think about things like this too. Okay, why is he not following directions? Is it just, you know, and and again, we go so quickly to behavior with he's just stubborn or he's just lazy. But lots of times it's just that children don't understand. They need more verbs. They need more prepositions. They need more pronouns. And so again, until they have that at the comprehension level, they're never going to be able to say it and they're also not going to be able to follow those directions. And really participate in their little daily routines. And again, whether they be at home or outside their homes. So we have to be super intentional about targeting receptive language when kids have language delays. And we know why? Because they're not picking it up the regular way. They're not uh, understanding like a typically developing little peer at the same age, or they would be doing more. So we know that we have to adjust our modeling strategies. And again, if you're a parent listening, what does modeling, what's a modeling strategy? it's just what you say, how, how you say what you want your child to be able to understand or be able to say to you. And so again, we have to think about that. We've got to adjust what we're doing. So let's look at two of the main ways that we can do this. And this actually carries over from our expressive language facilitation techniques that we just talked about back in 455 in the previous show. And it's so important with kids with receptive language issues. And that first strategy is simplify. And we know we have to make things simpler because, again, it's obvious they're not learning it the regular way. So we've got to adjust and do something differently. So instead of talking in long paragraphs, we've got to simplify and make things easier for these children to process. The number two strategy is repetition. And I talk about this in every show, but repetition really does breed what? mastery. And so if we do it often enough, kids get better and better and better and it's just like any other skill that you would learn. If you want to learn to sew better, what do you do? You sew more. If you want to be a better cook, what do you do? You actually get in the kitchen and cook more. And so the same thing with these receptive language uh, concepts. We have to review them over and over and over so that children have multiple opportunities to really not only learn that material but really master it. Alright, our third strategy here for receptive language is that we cue for comprehension and again for cues for those of you who are therapists we think about verbal cues visual cues and tactile cues and to make that easier for parents a long time ago maybe 15 years ago now i came up with the phrase "tell him, show him, help him," and so tell him. Those are our verbal cues. And so, what does that mean for a child, for, as far as receptive language? We're going to reword what we're saying to him. If he doesn't understand it, we'll use a different word. We'll say it again. You know that verbal cue, that uh, repetition piece. Those are the things that we do for verbal cues. We're telling him. We're we're giving him more information. We're breaking it down. And so, simplification that certainly would be a verbal cue. The next kind of cue would be visual cues. So the show him piece would. This will be where we're pointing. We're actually, uh, you know, putting little things that we want him to understand right into his face. So again, that we're doing this show him piece. We're helping him see it not only again with our verbal piece with our words, but with our visual cues as well. So our gestures and the last piece of that, the tactile cues, and this is physical assistance and then the tell him, show him help him part. This is where we actually uh, provide again that hand on uh, -on one-on-one assistance there to help him follow through. So tell him, show him, help him. I've talked about that a lot in previous shows. Please go back and listen to say uh, show 450 and show 452 where we talk about that in-depthly. Most of the time when parents are giving verbal cues and visual cues and tactile cues to their children, uh, it's not that they're not trying with that, It's just maybe it's that they're over-talking, they're over-relying on that verbal piece versus not giving any visual support. And maybe they don't even require a response, they just think, oh well he doesn't understand, let's move on, I'll just do it for him, and we certainly don't want to. facilitate that with children. We want to help parents learn how to use the cues that really work. Two other strategies that therapists recommend here, and these are four and five on your handout list. I mentioned the handout, but I didn't show that to you before. But these are important, and I want to talk about them just briefly And self-talk and parallel talk. And what is self-talk? Self-talk is when you are narrating about yourself. So you are describing what you're doing, and so you might be saying, if a child is sitting in his high chair and watching you as you cook breakfast, you might say, I'm cooking the pancakes, mmm, and then you take a bite, oh, I took a bite, oh, mommy is eating, mmm, mommy likes it. And so again, where you are really talking about what you are doing, now parallel talk is is where you're talking about what the other person is doing and that's usually the child and so here you might say something like if they're playing with blocks oh you're building a tower look at your blocks oh look you put one on oh here goes another one you know what and so you are really again directing all your language to narrate what the child is doing or if you're watching someone else let's say you're looking out the window and dad is cutting the grass you're saying look at daddy daddy's cutting that grass oh daddy pushes the lawnmower go daddy go and again that parallel talk where you're describing that is so important for helping children link meaning with what they're seeing uh, in their everyday world. So those were the the best strategies. Now let's talk about activities for a little bit. Reading and playing together every day are always our number one uh, recommendations that we make to parents beyond doing the language teaching that they naturally do in everyday routines. But talking about directly about reading and directly about that one-on-one on the floor playing together is is something that we need to be super specific with parents uh, when we're talking about this in therapy sessions and sometimes when we sit on the floor to play with the child for extended periods of time parents realize I haven't done that very much I'm kind of talking with him in passing or I might play a little game with him while we change a diaper but then we move on and do something else so they certainly see the value of that continued one-on-one a time so super super important one thing we always want to be saying to parents to talk about early literacy development and we know that children who have language delays and language disorders are at risk for academic uh, struggling or I don't want to say failure but honestly that's what it is and so we have to really get those pieces going pretty early so we've got to be reading to children at least one time a day and certainly more if children enjoy it and this is so important for children with listening difficulty and we certainly hear parents talk about that with us you know he never listens if he would listen to me he would understand more and you want to say exactly <laughs> that's the problem here and so we have to really help our children with those and this is particularly important for children who have cognitive strengths or activity preferences and here you know I'm talking about our little friends with autism and they may not have been identified yet or formally diagnosed but certainly you know these kids have some zany brainy strengths you know this child knows 10 different kinds of dinosaurs and can count to 50 and can identify all all of the letters, yet he can't follow regular directions. What's going on there? And so we have to really build in these little auditory processing games to build that functional receptive language vocabulary. So let's say that a child only likes to play with her own little collection of horses. We can use that for receptive language practice. If a kid is obsessed with letters, we can use that. And again, this is to get that listening piece and that that I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to you and I'm gonna do what you say, I'm gonna interact with you and include you and stay engaged here. And it's a big, big piece, uh, especially for our friends with autism. So we have to find a way to work it in, especially on days when a child has a lower frustration tolerance, so a lower threshold for what will uh, send them into a tantrum or a meltdown or just drive them away from you. And so we certainly wanna use that. <clears throat> so those are our top language facilitation strategies along with activities for uh, comprehension and receptive language. So this was the how part. This is the part for you with, okay, while I'm working on all these specific goals, this is how I need to do it. Let's dive in and talk about the what part. So now we're going to really look at those goals and break them down, and I'm going to give you the best strategies to address them. The first one on our list is follows two-step related commands. Now remember what we said about that. Most kids who are typically developing by 24 months can already do this, but we're talking about this here at the 30-month level because there's so many pieces involved with this. So this is that a child can complete a two-part request, and at the beginning when we're talking about related commands, this is usually a familiar action with the same object. So this would be an example like if your child has taken off his socks and thrown them on the floor, we might say, pick up your socks and give them to me. Or something related to a routine. Let's say that you read together every night. You might say, go get your blanket and sit in our chair. And again, that's a two-part command. He knows what that's for. It's it's to get ready to read, so he knows that you sit with his blanket every night. He knows where you sit, so that's a great two-step related command to kind of work on. It might even be easier than that, like get the ball and throw it. Uh, take the car and push it. And again, you're giving an, an object name plus what comes next with that. So that's. So certainly where you start now during this same developmental period we're also going to move toward longer commands like get the big ball and throw it to daddy and so when you look at that there are more parts there you know we're looking at um, say the big ball versus the little ball and throw it to daddy versus mommy and so the kid has to hold on to more parts there and I mentioned in the intro when we were thinking about auditory memory this is where they can not only hear it but they remember it and they remember it longer and they're able to kind of, again execute that command while you are uh, while they're holding all those little pieces in their mind so the best way to teach this skill is to ask children to get an object and then again do what would come next naturally so with baby dolls, If you're sitting and playing with that and there's a hairbrush there and the baby doll is there, what would you say? Get the brush and brush the baby doll's hair. If there's a bowl there, get, or a spoon, you know, oh, let's get get the spoon and give the baby a bite. And so again, this helps children learn to listen and then follow through with longer pieces of information. So what do you do if a child can't do that? If a child is getting lost between the first part and the second part of the command, or they seem to only complete the last part consistently, and that tells you, oh, he's just, he's just hanging on to that last little piece, he's already let go of the first part of that. this is again we have to build their working memories so we have to help them learn how to do it by uh, adjusting the way that we present that information how I do this is I help kids learn how to do this with uh, lots of visual cues so let's say that we um, are playing with a set of zoo animals and I might say to a child please give me the elephant and the lion so you can see that I've set the expectation there just with that really simple kind of gesture and what do kids do they take the lion and put it in the this hand, and the elephant, or whatever I said, the first animal, and put it in this hand, and the second one here. If you're playing with a set of vehicles, you know you can do this. The whole, the whole. Uh, Play routine, and it might not be that you're doing seven or eight of these kinds of things in a row. Some kids like it; they think it's real fun and kind of get into it like it's a game. But for some kids, you have to really break it up so that you're you're playing with a set of vehicles, and he's playing with them, putting them down the racetrack. You know, you might say, "Oh, give me the choo-choo and the motorcycle." And after he's done that, you know, he goes right back to his play routine. And then you know, after thirty seconds or a minute, you say, "Oh, I want the truck and the boat, or whatever you're using there to play." And so. So cleanup time is another perfect way to do this. I do this with puzzles all the time. After we've put together, say, a nine piece puzzle, we get ready to clean it up. This is a great time to work on helping a child learn how to hold those two pieces of information there and follow through with that command. So if it's a picture of uh, a puzzle of farm animals, you know, again, you're saying, give me the cow and the duck, and you keep that going throughout the whole cleanup process. And uh, uh, this could be with toys, any kind of activity that you're doing, it could, it could be with bathtub toys when a parent is cleaning up after bath. So remember the part there is to give the visual cues to help them understand that you are asking for two different items. Now another way to do this is really to work on building up the complexity with the same kinds of commands and so you do it in a sequence. So you start with something basic and again whatever the child is playing with right there in front of him you tell him you know get the blank and give it to me. And so that's just something that you can start to practice with any child who's not following uh, two-step related commands, and then you bump it up. You say, get the blank, and then you, you know, it might not be give it to me if you're the therapist, but you're going to say, oh, give it to mommy. So uh, get the ball and give it to mommy. Get the block and give it to Laura or give it to me. And so again, that bumps it up a little bit more. They've got to listen to not only what the object is, but that second piece. Who am I going to give it to? And then you might do something like uh, to bump it up even more. It could be get the object and then do something with it that again is maybe uh, uh, something that... uh, as they get better and better at it, something that's unexpected. So instead of uh, get the ball and give it to me, it could be get the ball and put it on the couch or get the ball and put it back in the bag or something that, again, that they have to really be listening for. And how do you assess how, how well they're doing with that? Kids might just break down, you know, when you start working through that whole sequence and you'll start to see, oh gosh, this is what he doesn't understand. This is what we have to work harder on. And you have to really stick with it. Uh, and, and again, let me caution you for children who won't do this, you know, seven or eight times in a row, you know, for that kind of practice, just intermingle it with your other play routine. So if you're playing with Play-Doh, you say to him, oh, get the scissors and give them to mommy, or get the roller and hand it to me, those kinds of things. You you put those, those same kinds of requests into your play activity. So like All of our other milestones here, kids have to practice in daily routines. And so you help parents uh, blend these little commands into their everyday routines and talk about them specifically. I gave you the example with bath time, how you could use this or any kind of cleanup time. So help parents brainstorm ideas that really, really fit into their schedule. When kids are following directions better in these super-structured situations, then you move back to more traditional two-step commands where they're not uh, quite as expected or quite as structured as before. Uh, And so those certainly will help. And then you get to the point where we said we're going to add that unexpected piece. So it might be get the ball and put it in your pocket or find the shoe and put it on your head. And that's when we really, really know that a child is certainly understanding. You see their reactions when they realize this is silly, she's asking me to put the shoe on my head here and they really get into it it's it's you've got that teasing kind of going back and forth and again this might be a way to pull a child in who would not naturally want to engage with you in these kinds of activities so super super way to work on uh, following two-step commands and we start with two-step related commands and then we expand it from there our next skill is sorts objects into categories now this is another tricky one where some assessments list this at 18 months but some assessments really care it on up to the 36 month level so we have it right here at two and a half at 30 months regardless of when it's achieved it is such an important language skill as well as an important cognitive skill and so let's talk about why this is because you might be one of those speech language pathologists who thinks that's not about talking that's not about understanding per se yes it is and let me tell you why so kids need to be able to start to categorize to start to really make associations and do things like matching it's the first skill that we really have in finding differences and similarities beyond that initial kind of matching piece. So these are foundational skills for our academics. They learn how to, you know, sort numbers versus letters, and they're going to be doing this kind of thing all throughout early elementary school, but it starts right here in the toddler period. Now language-wise, this goal helps children, children learn to recognize names for categories. So now they're not just saying things like banana and Cookie and cracker. Now we say things like food or things we eat. Or toys, and again, we're going to start simpler than that. You know, by by saying that we're going to group things like the balls versus the shoes, Uh, and so this is where kids start to use words to organize their world. And so this is kind of meta language when we use a word to kind of talk about something else. And it's an important foundational ability. And I think about it as the beginning of what executive functioning. And so what is executive functioning? It's how we all run our lives. It's how we plan. It's the The best way to introduce categories again is by sorting two very different types of objects into groups. You might have dishes versus cars, and so again, uh, you've got your kitchen, all your kitchen kind of things over here versus all your little sets of vehicles. And you say to a child, We're going to put all the dishes right here and we'll put all the cars over here. Sometimes you can put them in containers, and that makes it easier for children to think, Okay, this is kind of a closed in task. I'm not so confused. Again, I have some some structure here, some organizational cues to help me understand what I'm doing. But you can certainly, I just do it with piles usually on the floor while we're playing. Uh, And so again, it might be animals versus blocks. And so keep them really, really uh, separate and two very different kinds of objects in the beginning. And so when a kid can, and sometimes when you tell parents this, they'll start to do things like separate by color and kids aren't really there yet. And so really help them keep this and think about this in really kind of broad categories. a kid can do that though, don't be satisfied. Go ahead and bump him on up and make this task a little more complex by having him sort objects that have more similarities. So it might be sorting cars versus trucks or sorting socks versus mittens. And again, you can see that they're a little more difficult for a kid to be able to pull out, which uh, uh, the difference is there. Uh, I like to do this when I'm playing in therapy just with two different puzzles. So if I have a kid who's really kind of obsessed with puzzles, I'll have two different puzzles out. And so he's got to know you know, that all the animal pieces go over here and I'll say if he's obsessed with the alphabet all the ABCs go in this puzzle and again great way to kind of work on that and it's a super important thing like I was telling you uh, before to put it in as a break so here's how you can use this in therapy I focus on tasks like this these little receptive language slash cognitive tasks when a child obviously needs a break or needs to switch gears I mean I think that I have about Pushed him too far <laughs> when we're uh, talking about talking, when he's got a lot of expressive things going on, and I think, oh, he needs a little bit of a break. So instead of giving him a real kind of break and letting him just run around and do whatever he wants to or check out, we do one of these little tasks. And again, it brings him back, it helps him focus, it gets him regulated because they're not talking, they're not doing what's so incredibly hard for them but you're still working on it. And again, uh, a super, super way to use that when a child is becoming really, really frustrated during therapy. Now, one last way to use these receptive language or cognitive tasks is when you need an activity to get those brothers and sisters or neighborhood friends that are over that uh, happen to come if you're doing home visits for therapy when they need to participate in your session and you it's really, really hard for you. This is a great way to do it. Uh, the older children or the typically developing peers are modeling uh, for the child who's a late talker or a kid with Uh, a language delay or disorder, they're modeling for them what they, their little friend should be doing. So, great way to do that. Now, I really talk with moms about using these kinds of things as homework, not to overload a mom, but because it's fun and it's so structured that it's, you know, again, it's an additional activity and some therapists are so scared to get outside of a parent's everyday routines. They think parents won't like it, but i found that parents really do like it because it's something that they would not have normally done and then they feel like, ah, I'm really on this, and it may not be working on, again, that expressive language piece per se, but we're driving that expressive language development with this receptive language Uh, practice so I always keep a few of these little activities in mind for most of the kids that I see and if you're not doing that already I would really challenge you to think about that this week and think about what kids do I have right now that are at this you know 30 month level between 24 months and a 30 month developmental level here or even older and how how can I get them to do it I know that you're gonna see great success with that and I know the parents on your caseloads are gonna like it too so try that this week now let's talk more about understanding pronouns. We talked about this back in show number 454 and 455 because, again, pronouns are something that children sometimes have difficulty learning and certainly is a big marker for a language disorder and those who will continue to struggle with language processing. So it's very, very important that we address pronoun usage from this comprehension perspective, especially when we see that a child is struggling with that and is not Uh, really picking that up like we would want him to and again not just expressively but receptively so there are two things that you should always do (laughs) when you are teaching toddlers and preschoolers to understand pronouns and remember what are pronouns they're those words that substitute for names and here are the pronouns that we are primarily talking about or the me pronouns me my and mine and I and you so those five ones and the first one is what I'm doing right now it's using gestures so you point to your Self, when you are refer- referring to yourself, so you say, "I am playing with the ball," "I draw," "I eat," "I jump," and when you're t- or when you're saying "me," this one is for me. This one is mine. So you're using those gestures as that visual cue, that referent for children to be able to see what we're talking about. Now with the the pronoun I, sometimes I point to my eye, especially if I'm cueing a child expressively with what I want him to say, but even receptively. Now some therapists hate that <laughs> because certainly EYE for my eyeball here is different than the pronoun I, but it's it's a, a trick or a tip that helps lots of children understand it, and so if you don't have a philosophical difference with that, it's a great trick to use. Now the second one beyond gestures is to use a person's name to supplement your pronoun so and I don't say it, it as unnaturally naturally as something like I Laura want to take a drink from my cup but I'll just say you know I'm drinking this is Laura's drink it's mine I'm drinking and again you're referring to yourself uh, you're using your visual cues and then you're using your name there too now it seems a little bit unnatural but toddlers and preschoolers with uh, language delays really need that reference or that reference when you are doing that and remember kids aren't picking it up naturally when they have this receptive language problem so we have to make it a little unnatural in the beginning with this direct teaching we're going to fade that name after a while but those are the best strategies gestures and then using the name to help a child understand what uh, the pronoun is now let me share a few of my best play routines for teaching pronouns to toddlers. Now, I like to target the comprehension of mine or me or anything like that by teasingly taking something that ch- the child has, but you gotta be real careful with this, you know, and taking it and saying, oh, it's mine, or oh, this is for me. But make sure that your eyes are sparkling and twinkling and that a child knows that you were joking. Some two-year-olds become unpleasantly fixated on this task. If you carry it uh, on for too long, parents may not appreciate that. <laughs> with you overemphasizing this word, but you know learning to defend your own possessions is so important for a two-year-old who who's in daycare or even has a lot of brothers and sisters and so great way to work on it and they've got to understand it certainly before they use it. Uh, some therapists really work on uh, the comprehension of pronouns with Uh, me and my versus you and your by the my turn your turn and that's fine if a child can do it make sure that your turn only lasts about one second (laughs) and the child's turn lasts a lot longer than that so that you don't get a child who again thinks that you are the hoarder there with the toys and you certainly want to keep them with you and if they're already struggling to understand pronouns don't make them upset as you are trying to teach them to understand it I'd rather teach it with something that's it's obviously mine versus theirs. So I contrast my and your with things like body parts, so my hair versus your hair or my sweater, or my shirt versus your shirt. And so again, kids really understand that a lot. Um, You can certainly do things like uh, with shoes. You know, you try to put your foot in the child's shoe and say, this shoe is mine. And the child usually will take it back and say, no, mine. And you've got that size contrast there. Another joke that's really uh, funny that a lot of kids have gotten a kick out of is when I hug their moms and say, oh, she's my mommy. And that certainly will provoke a response for a lot of kids. All right. So I teach you in a kind of a silly way by pointing to the child and try to say it in kind of a bossy way and I do it when we're actively playing and when we're obviously having a good time I like to do it uh, let's say that we're playing with potato heads and a piece is stuck in the potato head or I'm pretending like it's stuck and I can't get it and I'll go oh it's stuck it's stuck you do it you 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 and it's so sweet because kids will start to kind of point back and you'll see them even if they're not saying the word they certainly understand it and they've gotten gotten uh, the meaning of that play routine and, and so again they're doing the visual cue with that so I think that's really really cute sometimes you can do it in a game when there's an, an anticipated surprise or you'll pretend like you're scared or uh, with or that you don't want to do something like oh I'm scared to do it let's say you're playing a game like crocodile dentist where the crocodile's going to close on you or popping pirates where the little pirates about to pop up and you, you act like oh I'm scared I don't want to do it you do it you do it you do it, you do it. and again super fun way uh, which is sometimes a hard skill to teach so I hope those little play routines will help you work on pronouns the next skill is points to four action words in pick- Now, for a child to do this, he's got to understand action words and verbs first. And remember, verbs and action words are so much more fun when we target them during real movement activity. So if a child has difficulty with this, instead of starting with the picture piece or the app Peace. start with real life and so really make it more meaningful and demonstrate the actions that he needs to do commensurate with that word so toddlers and preschoolers always learn best by doing not by watching or seeing they're always going to uh, help them remember and no other category of words again like I said lends itself to doing rather than hearing or watching uh, like verbs do so please continue to rely on real activity to teach verbs. So this milestone is so easily included in play with sets of toys, and that's going to limit boredom for you and the child, and you've got lots of other opportunities there. And again, for a child who's really struggling with receptive language or listening, that attention to that auditory activity with you, you, know, you need to be practicing with things like this. So if you're playing with a farm, a child can make any animal eat, climb, run, sleep, jump, you know, anything. He can make the tractor go and stop and push pull and crash the duck can fly and fall and sleep and again all these different things you know and you compare a different object with a different verb and really really tease out if a child's understanding what these words really really mean and so the possibilities for teaching new action words are only limited by your own creativity it's so tempting to think about okay and this is what you need to do in the beginning you do need to stick to the expected actions during play but remember what we said when we were talking about following two-step Commands. We really only know that they understand when we start to do some things that are unexpected. So it is perfectly fine for the pig to ride on the horse's back or for the cow to drive the tractor (laughs) when you're playing with farm animals like this and you're giving those directions so that you really, really are having a child do lots of things during play routines that demonstrates that he understands. You've got to balance it, like we said, for kids who don't like that kind of directive during play. So you'll throw in a request you know every couple of minutes versus one command after another. But you can't always follow a child's lead when you're working on things like this. You can for activity preferences, but when you're addressing receptive language you know, we really, really have to be sure that we are mixing it up so that a child understands. Now here, we're using all of our strategies, self-talk, parallel talk, and certainly visual, verbal, and tactile cues, but we want to do everything we can to get a child to understand these action words so that it can bump up to this next level uh, for comprehension, and this is identifying common action swear in pictures. So now we've made it visual, and this is really harder than real life, and so lots of our kids will, you'll see kind of that, that disconnect there oh he understands it when we're playing but he has a hard time identifying that in pictures so a toddler with a significant receptive language delay may do all right too not only with in the real life thing but let's let's talk about this in a different way with books or with pictures he may do great when he's pointing to nouns so find the cat find the car find the bus show me the tree but then when you say who's sleeping which one is running oh show me show me who's which one is flying they get lost there because we've moved the target from the noun to the verb to the action so in sessions we will have to focus on Teaching that, labeling those verbs, and doing a lot of that with books or with pictures first well before we start to assess that or teach it. So I do a lot of repetitive, direct teaching with a book. And so when we're reading the book and we see an action picture there, we need to stop and say, Look at that boy. He's drinking. See that boy? That boy is drinking. The boy drinks. Drink, boy. Drink, boy. And then we pause a minute. And we say who's drinking and we get it right back to or show me drinking. We we put it right back and have the child really, really demonstrate that he's understood what you've just taught him or what you've just modeled. Now you need to be sure to assign this to parents for homework who might be read books all the time, but lots of times we get in our own little patterns, and so while they may a parent may do great with uh, progressing beyond the story they're not just reading the story They're they're asking you know where's the mom show me the bed Uh, Again, lots and lots of nouns. We have to help them switch to the verbs, and so you might say something to a parent like, today, let's look at some books and let's read some books together, but we're going to change our focus and look at the verbs or the action words, and this is, and and you explain why it's necessary. You say for this next level of vocabulary development, (laughs) he understands 200 different kinds of nouns, but he has very few verbs, and so this is how we've got to bump it up so that he starts to be able to say these verbs, and this will also help him be able to follow better directions and so you really uh, make that super important to a parent by helping them understand why you're working on that and so you might just say and I've done this a lot with parents and if you are a skilled home interventionist uh, an SLP or an early a, a DI a teacher person who's doing this you probably already do it but say to a parent let's take your books let's take his favorite books that he already likes and let's go through and, and see how well he does with this and I want you to do it and and show me how you know show me the things that you normally do and I'll make some suggestions And we'll see if we can incorporate uh, some different goals while we're doing this and let's work on verbs today And so uh, again, you can take a look at page 3 in your handout on all of the handouts uh, For this whole series. I've included a great vocabulary list as page 3 So take a look at the action words or the verbs right here and see what you can do with that with pictures uh, So that you get some ideas. So if a child has a hard time with this when you're looking at the pictures always revert to acting it out so what are you doing you're taking it from that visual piece or that symbolic piece to real life concrete so that again a child is back to doing and not just seeing or watching so if you want to use flashcards or if you want to use those apps this is a great way to do it so pantomime uh the actions in the pictures toddlers think it's so funny and it is a much better way to use pictures now i want to warn you about something here Do not let a child get stuck making mistake after mistake. And I've seen this happen over and over again, especially with a higher level goal like we're talking about now, here at this 30 month level uh, with toddlers. Uh we, we're teaching a new skill that's so specific like this, and we might say, you know, we're looking at a book, and we say, who's eating? And the child doesn't know or points to something else. And we just say, no, this person is eating. Here's eating. And then we move on. Who's, who's washing? Show me who's washing. And they miss that one too. And we just let them struggle like that and continue to, Fail and fail and fail and fail. Do not do this if we're if a child isn't getting it back up. And know that you've got to teach for a long time before you start testing. So uh, that's an important point. And if you're a therapist who's not doing that, I hope that you'll reassess your own skills. And that's certainly something that we need to teach parents to do too. This next skill is really cute. Recognizes family member names. And so when a toddler is between 24 and 30 months, they start to recognize her parents' and siblings' first names. Now, it's not so obvious with a sibling, unless they call their sibling something like Bubby or Sissy or another kind of nickname. But it's really cute with a parent when a parent realizes, oh my goodness, he knew, he somebody said, where is Rebecca? And he looked right at me. And so it's really, really uh, a fun one to kind of realize and talk about with a parent. And this helps them see, ah, yes, his language comprehension skills are improving. And it's not something that I've worked on over and over again. The next skill is understands the concept of one and so by 27 months children with typically developing language skills understand one and then by the time they're 36 months or right beyond that they under start to understand other kinds of quantity words like all and some and uh, certainly they already understand more. And so you can usually teach the concept of one with that contrast. Now sometimes you have to just again focus on Here's one, here's one, here's one. But I like to teach it, again, in that context of one versus all. So let me give you the example that I use all the time. I'll take something like Teddy Grahams or M&Ms or Skittles or something that a child really, really likes. And I'll put them on the table as we're having a snack or wherever we're sitting. And I'll have a pile of one and a pile of ten. (laughs) And I'll say to the child, do you want one or do you want all of these? And kids pretty quickly get that they want all the big piles. So that certainly, uh, it's not gonna take too many times before a child starts to understand that difference. You can also use a child's preferred toys here, and they become really highly motivating for this task. So if a child is a little bit of a, Porter or <laughs> has obsessions and he likes trains. He certainly is going to understand one train versus all the rest of these trains. And so you can even say things, uh, again, with a receptive task, you're saying you get all that you choose, and I'll just take one. Or with an expressive task, you know, that would be you're asking him how many do you want. You've got to work on that receptive piece First, any time a child picks one, let him face those natural consequences of just getting one. And again, you might you don't wanna goad him or anything or make him too mad, but that is how he really, really understands that concept. I also work on one with the famous, one more time, let's do it one more time, give me one more, one more, one more. And that's how kids start to uh, learn that skill too. All right, let's un- uh, move on and talk about understanding size concepts. And toddlers with typically developing receptive language begin to understand big versus little between 24 and 27 months, So we certainly want it mastered by 30 months. So for teaching size, we're gonna use similar objects that don't differ in too many ways except for size. And so balls are good with this. You can have little balls, Versus big balls. You can use small Legos versus the bigger, say Duplos or something like that, and you're going to contrast this one is big and this one is little. Now, most of the time, children who mix this up. And who are having trouble with this when you're doing it during therapy, sometimes it really is us. And so you notice, oh, they're getting confused. they're 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 trying to think about this as colors. you know he's sorting all the blue ones. look at that. he's not doing size. he's he's sorting by color. So really try to figure out where is it that a child has the breakdown with that. Uh, and so I, I want it like we did back with pronouns and i was saying there were two strategies that i wanted to teach you for pronouns and let me let me give you a pop test what was that you were going to use your gestures and you were going to use your uh your gestures pointing to yourself and you were going to refer to your name let me teach you two strategies here for size you're going to do gestures so you know the big versus little but i use my voice and i just did it then did you hear me i went big you know or you can do it with volume you know it's big versus who is little, anything that's going to help uh, make that contrast. And with toddlers, I work on things, like I said, back with uh, pronouns that we're doing, things that are obviously, uh, you know, on him and on me. So my hand is big, his hand is little. My shoe is big, his shoe is little. And so those are great ways to work that into everyday routines that you can teach parents. In sessions, offer big and little versions of the same uh, item to play with. So you're going to have the big blocks versus the little blocks, the big balls versus the little balls, balls. And of course, you've got to keep that over several different sessions and you've got to help parents come up with ways to practice these size differences at home too in everyday routines. But it's a fun goal and it's important, an important one to work on for language development too. This next skill is response to simple questions and this is a hard one for parents to understand sometimes and even for we therapists to understand is what's too hard what are we talking about here so for that let's just review the sequence of learning to understand questions toddlers first learn to understand yes no questions like want a cookie yes or no is is that daddy or is daddy home you know that kind of thing things that are obvious and right in front of them and have to do maybe even with their own personal preferences after yes no questions and again it's got to be in context it can't be uh do airplanes fly or and certainly you know objects by function kids are understanding that kind of thing but you get my point here it's got to be something that's here and now that's not just something factual that you're asking them you know is whatever you come up with your own examples but it's got to be something that's relative that a kid can see and it's right in front of him and makes sense the next question that young children learn how to understand is answering easy location questions or easy uh with where and then uh what questions so what's that is usually understood and answered uh by 18 to 24 months and that would just be in labeling where we're asking you know what's that and he says dog What's that book? What's that cookie? And again, really simple, familiar, everyday kinds of uh, labels there for for nouns. And then where is understood by 30 to 33 months. So right at this age level that we're talking about, even if the child is answering non-verbally. So where's daddy? You know, he looks across the room to find daddy. Where, where's your hair? You know, that's certainly a body part kind of thing that he's already gotten. But the where part, that de- understanding that WH question means that I'm going to look around and locate something. That, star- that is what we're talking about here at 30 Months. Most adults, some SLPs included, think of answering questions as purely an expressive language task no it's really a receptive language task first because kids can really answer non-verbally like we said with looking to answer a where's question or a what question so if a child doesn't understand the question he certainly can't answer it so always start with the receptive language piece. Now, the best way to help a child understand questions, gosh, we're, we're back to these same strategies. Use gestures, use those visual cues to help him. And again, I like that that line, tell him, show him, help him. We're gonna do this again here to help a child learn how to understand questions. So, what is the gesture that we're going to help them learn how to understand when they are uh, responding to yes-no questions? It's going to be what? Nodding their heads yes and shaking their heads no, and again, that non-verbal way to answer that question. Typically developing babies are shaking their heads no at about their first birthday. So certainly here about 30 months, we should see a child uh, be able to do that. And we start to help them not only get that expressive piece, but make sure they understand it with the receptive piece first. Beware, when you're practicing this to help a child be able to respond to these yes, no questions, do not give them choices that you that you can't accept the answer. So if you don't want them to say no to a question, you. Know, do you wanna do you wanna keep playing with me today? If they say no? you got to get up and leave, right? So be sure that you are pairing uh, and making that appropriate. Parents don't always make this connection, so talk about this during uh, sessions when that situation arises. Sometimes children in this toddler stage get stuck with a particular, they can only say no to questions or they can only say yes to questions when you know that it means the opposite. So to help them understand it, honor what they said. So if they say yes, that they want something Have them take it or have them do it. Let them experience that natural consequence. So we're going to talk about that more in the next show too. All right, what questions? We understand that children have been using that for a while when we're saying, what's that? And again, that's the expressive language uh, piece, but certainly understanding and responding to what questions comes 1st nonverbally. So we want to help children who aren't at that expressive level still be able to do that and respond appropriately with a gesture so that they are indicating that they understand. Instead of bombarding a child with, what's that? What's that? What's that? You know, we really have to teach uh, parents to start with the receptive tasks first with the find the, show me the, and then we really move on to what's that. So if we have a child who's having difficulty with that, again, my point here is when they're having difficulty with that expressive response, we back up to the receptive piece and make sure they really understand it first. You can do this in play. It easily fits into reading books, asking lots of questions like that, but if a child can't do it with pictures, we know what? he's having a problem because it's symbolic so we've got to always move it back to real life so start there with those understanding the simple questions and remember here by 30 months we're just looking at simple yes no related to context and answering the first two wh questions with what questions and where's questions that's it the next skill is identifies four objects by function now typically developing toddlers do this by 30 months and again Woo, this can be so hard for our late talking little friends. And this, again, lets us know there's more of going on here than just an expressive language piece. This is a receptive language skill, too. So some of the examples and assessments might be, which one is for cutting? And they'll have a picture of a knife, a school bus, and a, and a ball there. And so a child would have to point to the knife or the scissors or whatever. You know, find the one for combing your hair. And there's a picture of a comb or a brush there versus, again, a tree or a bed or something like that. And so that's what we want children to really be able to distinguish and differentiate. So this skill requires teaching, and again, uh, well before we start to test them. So we have to be labeling this and talking about this with kids. So these are shoes. We wear shoes on our feet. You know, we've gotta be giving those kinds of explanations. Again, long before we get to the point where, so if you have a child in therapy who can't do it, uh, don't don't start with that. Don't work on that very long. Know that you've got to do that preliminary work, like we just talked about back with verbs, and we said to get it before a child can identify four action words in pictures. He had to what? He had to be able to demonstrate or or uh, carry out the and recognize those. Action words in real life with everyday things first same thing preliminarily here with objects, meaning that if he 's not identifying them and getting them when you 're first talking about it, it has marked difficulty with that you've got to back it way up to where you're teaching that first and so you're doing a lot of talking about it and saying oh do you need do you need a drink oh what's for drinking what do we use for drinking it's your cup that cup is for drinking and so again we're doing the teaching piece Uh, with all other receptive language goals real objects is always preferable for teaching, but for testing, we know what? It's going to be with that picture. And so we again, we've got to get kids up to this symbolic level with pictures, but you're never going to get there unless you address it in that real life concrete way first. And so sometimes uh, it's the making the transition to pictures is what's so difficult because that's when the task becomes really, really abstract. So always try it with real life objects first. Now, when this is the case, we always assign the homework again by having parents do the preliminary work, where they're really teaching and doing all the talking about it. And and every time they're saying a noun, every time they're saying the name of something, they're going ahead and stating that object function too. And uh, look, at, look at what a family's using for that and how they're talking about that. Even sometimes educated parents that you think, gosh, I, I can't believe, you know, oh, he's not doing better with this. Sometimes it's that we really need to teach mom how to do it. And and so uh, we give them examples. And so let's say that we're working with puzzles with a child. And so instead of him just putting the pieces in the puzzle, with say a transportation puzzle, we're teaching mom to say, you know, let's don't not find the bow. It would be which one goes in the water, or which one flies for the airplane, or which which one says woo woo. And again, we're doing an object function there, rather than even working on the noun, or rather than working on the verb, we've made it a little bit more complex by working on the object function. Now, a related skill that our colleagues who were early interventionists or early childhood educators work on, that I've seen this, and the first time uh, I did this was, gosh, you know, over 20 years ago, uh, when I would work really closely with the DI and she would say, which one says quack? Which one says moo? Rather than what does the duck say or what does the cow say? And it's really kind of an interesting way to think about it. And that really is related to an object function, right? And I think that's even a question on the hell, the Hawaii early learning profile. And so lots of kids can tell us, uh, even our late talking little friends, you know, you know, what does the cow say? What does the dog say? What does the pig say? Which is fantastic, but you reverse it and they have a lot of trouble with it. And so learning to generalize or use words in a different way is such an important part of language processing. And again, increasing that complexity, even with cognitive development. And it really demonstrates flexibility with thinking. And so we want to be sure that we are working on object functions and even things like that, where we help a kid kind of learn how to think about it in a different way. And so as early interventionists and SLA, Piece. This is the kind of skill that we all need to be focused on in therapy and certainly teach uh, parents how to work on this at home. The next skill is understands location phrases. And remember, we talked about this back when we were reviewing the milestone list. Kids have already understood the early prepositions. And remember, we said that's up, down, in, out, off, on. And by 30 months, we add here and there. Those kind of, those are almost like what? Almost like pronoun. Uh, prepositions right because they take the they substitute for lots of different things and then we also by age three so we're coming up on this we add the prepositions under by and around. And so as in the previous developmental period, we've got to teach these words in context with playing well before we get to the picture level. And again, this one didn't specifically say, understands location, phrases, in pictures, but uh, I just want to continue to drive that point home with you, that instead of making it symbolic with the picture that's too hard for a lot of kids, we've got to work on it in real life first. Now many times with typically developing children, we, we talked about this in the previous shows, probably back in shows 451 and 452. Uh, uh, probably 4.50 and 4.52, the receptive language shows, at 12 months and at 18 months. We talked about early prepositions, but now remember what we're doing? We're, We're making it a little harder, and we want them to understand it in the context of a phrase. And so we've got to do lots of cues, like we've talked about with our pronouns and with our verbs and our object functions, now we're back to talking about those same cues, especially with location, to direct a child's attention to uh, what we're talking about or what we're asking them to do. So when we're saying, you know, put it in the box, you know, look, it goes in, 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 in the box. We're doing lots of visual cues. I like to work on this with, say, a kid's little preferred uh, toy or favorite little character so if they have an elmo doll that they love you have them put elmo everywhere you can think of (laughs) in a therapy session or if you're a parent at home working on on that so hide elmo under the pillow hide elmo on the table hide elmo beside mommy and again we're bumping up a little bit with using beside by and around which are prepositions that again a kid is not going to master until he's mastered Uh, the first ones those first six that I gave you up down in out off and on but do those and when you think when you introduce really creative teaching methods like this you're not only ensuring that a child uh, learns it but what that a child will participate with you and when we pair his activity preferences with that you know he's gonna have a lot better shot of being able to stay with you and really really learn that and remember that new concept and new word. you're also like we said with flexibility of thinking you're also encouraging that child to be flexible when she plays and to generalize that word beyond like their immediate uh, specific context with that. So another fun way that I like to teach prepositions is by using the child himself to model this concept and I've done a Therapy Tip of the Week about this, I hope I remember to link it for you. I'll try to remember to put a link in the post below if you're watching here on YouTube. But this is where we take a child and uh, I used a laundry basket for this but I've also done it say on an ottoman in a family's home or even on a table. But it's where we do lots of things with the child in relationship and making him be what's the difference with the location phrase. So we're going to put the child in the laundry basket, we're going to take him out of the laundry basket, we're going to turn the laundry basket over and put the child on the laundry basket, then we're going to take him off. We're gonna put him again, we can do he's he can be under the laundry basket. You can do all kinds of things with this. And again, oh it's so much fun for kids. And it's even fun in a group. So if you have brothers and sisters there too, and so the child is doing it, and he might see his brother or sister be the one under the laundry basket or who runs around the laundry basket. And again, it makes it so meaningful for that child. And again, you can do it with the couch. He can climb on the couch and jump off the couch and be, you know, up on the couch and down off the couch. And so, again, lots and lots of ways to teach this. Remember, this milestone is receptive language, too. You're not asking him to say it. You're just asking for that execution so that he understands the concept. And so you've got to keep the location phrases, too, in context and practice, 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 practice practice to... um, master those concepts. All right, I can't believe it. We've already reached the end of our receptive language milestones for 24 to 30 months. I gave you tons of examples here for teaching these skills in everyday routines and lots of examples for therapy, but I want to share another resource that I've developed to teach me to talk for you to use as a therapist and certainly share with your parents, and it's the ultimate toy list, and that's where I've taken toys pardon me, taking toys for each developmental phase and put them in a list with some ideas and some goals that you can pair with that. And so many of the goals that are listed here at this receptive language by 30 months uh, level, you're gonna find listed in that ultimate toy list. So I'll put that link below so that you can find some play ideas to use to teach these goals. Now beyond that, for parents and therapists, uh, my, my fantastic resource for teaching all of these skills is included here and teach me to talk the therapy manual. And that's for actually most of the material for this whole entire 14-show podcast series has come from. All the strategies are here. Great ideas are here too for carryover and follow through. So if you are an early intervention therapist who works in birth to three, you need this book <laughs> not only for yourself for your everyday practice, but just for ideas uh, and certainly to use with uh, to share with parents so that they can work on those kinds of things at home. And I'll put that link below. It's Teach Me to Talk: The Therapy Manual. If you are a therapist and you need CE credit for this show do not leave this CE hour unclaimed if you're listening in your podcast app on your phone or as you drive be sure that you go to teach me to talk and pay your uh, five buck CEU fee and get your credit for that. Thank you so much for being here. And again, if this is your first time, your first course with me, we wanna be your main provider for all your CE needs. So be sure to check out all of our uh, whole library of courses. We're up to, I think this is our 78th course now that we have available for CE credit. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that. And I've got a link for that below here in the post. All right, that's all for today. I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologist. And thank you so much for joining me for Teach Me To Talk's podcast.